with you guys. <laughs> I don't need this microphone. <laughs> I like this, me too. So, thank you very much for taking some time out to speak with us today. You're very welcome. So, how did you decide that you wanted to make the makeup art shape for you? I liked horror movies when I was a little kid. <laughs> like everybody else. I mean, I, I used to watch all the old Universal horror films when I was a kid, just all the time. If they came on TV, I was watching them. And of course, they were already old when I was a kid, too, so they were anxious, but that's how I got started. One of your first films was uh, Tourist Drive. <laughs> One of your first films was uh, Tourist Drive. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry from the beginning, right? So, talk about your IMDb list, you was uh, Special Masks and Mannequin Makeup. I did the whole, I did everything. Everything? Yeah. Steve Neal and I did all that stuff. In fact, that was a friend of ours, Billy Scudder, was called those different mannequins <laughs> in that museum. And, uh, yeah. I basically did the makeup on everybody in that, and I think I had somebody helping me that was also doing the wardrobe. But, yeah, I just kind of did everybody. So, in the early 80s, you were Lily Tomlin's makeup artist from, for the film 9 to 5. That's correct. I actually met her on Incredible Shrinking Woman before that. Mm -hmm. And she liked me, and I stayed with her for like six years and did all of her stuff for her. That's what I wanted to ask. Is it a situation where they, they like you and want to keep bringing you Yeah, home? they can keep requesting you. And she was, I mean, I really loved Lily. She's a wonderful woman, but she was difficult to work with. So if she found somebody that could stand her, she <laughs> kept them around. She kind of went through a lot of hairdressers. She was really brutal on hairdressers. But. Yeah, you did a lot of her uh, TV specials. I did all of her TV specials that she won all of her uh, Emmys for. So I got to do every single one of her characters. And, that, and we even did a Saturday Night Live, which was really funny because it was, we did all these characters and then the, she does this one character who's like a black lounge singer, which I'm sure she couldn't even do now, but um, she kind of looked like Smokey Robinson, right? So. <laughs> They said, oh, you have the most time of all to do that character. I'm thinking, geez, yeah, I get to turn her into a black man. <laughs> I said, well, how much time do you get? Oh, you have three and a half minutes. And I went, oh, wow. <laughs> I can't believe I actually did. <laughs> it was like, it was the fastest makeup job I ever did on her. So your, your titles are many makeup artists, special effects makeup, supervisor, key makeup artists. What are the differences in some of these terms? You know, there, I don't know that there's a lot of, well, there, there are differences, but I think they, everybody kind of moves all those titles around. And basically, I was always what I call the department head, which means I did everything. I supervised everybody. I hired everybody. Um, I picked and chose who, you know, what makeup artists would do, what characters, like to see who was best suited for the job. So. Um, it's all kind of the same thing. They just randomly pick out different names to call people different things, which I've never totally figured out. So you worked on a little TV show, Gates. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, Another thing. <laughs> talk about working on that one, and what's the major differences between working on a TV show compared to a um, Well, I think TV show schedules now are really brutal. Um, they aren't like they used to be. When we were doing the A-Team, Fortunately for me, most of that was shot outdoors, and George Picard went home at five o'clock every day. So the fact that I was doing his makeup and he was always in some sort of prosthetic, so my days were relatively short. I was never trapped in a movie studio because a lot of those TV shows you're like stuck on the stage, dark, you know, 
stage all day long, but we were always outside. So that was, that was it was actually a fun show to work. It really was. I mean, we must have shot a thousand people and not one person ever died. I never used one drop of blood on that show. So. Did you interact with Mr. T at all? I did. I, yes. Mr. T's, my interaction with Mr. T was, B, bring me my book of tissue. That was my interaction. And I did pick him up and carry him from spot to spot every once in a while. I didn't know where I wanted to go. Probably about my back's messed up. Okay, so back on the, the horror, uh, the Lost Boys, uh-huh. it really seems that that film created almost a new book for vampires. Yeah, isn't it? Is it? <laughs> yeah. So how about coming up with a you know, new book for uh, another character? Well, um, when I had done a, a movie with a couple of films with Joel Schumacher and who I adore, and Joel said, well, we're going to hire Steve Johnson to do the vampires, and I said, no. Please don't hire Steve. He's, they're going to come out like monsters. They don't. They can't be monsters. We want them to be like beautiful dark angels. We want them to be scary and sexy and yummy, and we want everybody to be in love with them and want to be with them and be like him. And I said, you'll just get a monster if we do Steve Johnson. And I love Steve Johnson. He's amazing. But it just wasn't my idea for that. It's not Joel's idea. And I, he said, okay, well we'll do this. We'll do a test makeup with. You know, I said, he said, who do you want to do the prosthetics? I said, I want my friend Greg Cannon to do it. So he says, okay, well, so you and Greg come up with something, and I'll let Steve Johnson and his people come up with something, and you guys both do a test makeup, same day, different rooms, blah, 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 and we'll see what happens. And of course, Steve's looked just like Fright Night, you know, so, because he had already done Fright Night, and it was just very reminiscent of that whole creepy, scary, wasn't my vision at all, and I don't think it was Joel's vision either. So when we did our character, he he said, "Oh yeah, I, I get it." I said, "Okay, thank you." <laughs> so um, we actually did a test makeup on Brooke, and it was a little bit more exaggerated than the ones the ones we finally used in the film. We toned it down quite a bit, made it more streamlined, and you know, we they, some of them had a little bit slightly different design on each one of them according to the character look. But um, yeah, that was. It was fun and it was like really, I mean, they were relatively simple makeups, but they were, you know, done specifically like that so that they could be streamlined and pretty and, you know, they were scary. but scary and, you know, all of the above. Exactly, they were scary buffers. So yeah. I thought that was the, the great part about it. So the next one I'd like to talk about is Beetlejuice. <laughs> so it's um, your first Oscar. Yeah. Um, now, how does that work? Did, did you have Michael Keaton in the seat. Do you have an idea of the design as a sort of a collaboration with Tim? Well, Tim's characters are all a collaboration. Tim has a very you know specific style, which you know, if you've looked at my films, all the films I do that I've done for him all resemble each other, the makeups. And you know, because of the fact that Tim is an artist himself, he would always do sketches of the characters. And when I first went in to go meet with uh, Tim, there was sketches of this guy that looked like a derelict. You know, digging through trash cans. And I thought, oh, that's interesting, and I didn't pay much attention to it. And so, cut to, we're doing test makeups. We're shooting a film already, and we're doing test makeups with Beetlejuice. And we're starting to get into the afterlife stuff, because if you think about it, it's really funny, because Michael Keaton only worked on that movie for two and a half weeks, because all of his stuff was shot wow. not with living people, except for two scenes. 
So when you see him in the film, he's not really with other people. He's by himself most of the time, or he's got those two scenes with the living. So he was, all of his stuff was done in two and a half weeks, and we had already started shooting. So anyway, I said, so Tim, what are we, we going to do? I said, you know, he, do we want him to look like the rest of the people in the afterlife? They're all supposed to be coming from the same place. And he goes, well, I don't really want him to be colorful like that. And I said, well, let me, let me go. He said, that picture of the guy over there is the one I kind of think he looks like. And I said, like a derelict kind of? And he says, well, he says, kind of. He says, I want him to be a little bit different from the other people. He says, I don't, he says, I want him to be a little bit scarier. I went, okay. So Michael came in and I did the test makeup of him and, you know, basically made him look like this sketch of this derelict guy that was going through trash cans with the little dark circles around his eyes. He looked kind of like a degenerate, you know? And I took him back to Tim, and Tim goes, oh no, that's too scary. We don't even want to look at him. <laughs> and I said, okay, well, let me unmodify it a little bit. So I went back and did something else. Still too much. I said, okay. I said, can I just take him back and do what I want to do? And he goes, yeah, go do whatever you want to do. So I said, well, I still think he needs to resemble the other people in the afterlife, who I already did all the test makeups for, for all the colorations. And I said, but we're gonna make him really pale yellow. And, we want, and I said, I want him to look like my, my friend, who's also my assistant on that, Steve Laporte, I said, I want him to look like he crawled out from underneath a rock, because, you know, we dig him up and he's, whatever. So he says, okay, what do you want to do? And I said, let's send somebody off to a hobby store. And he goes, what do you want? I said, I want some crushed foam. And he goes, what? And I said, you know, that crushed foam like they use on the, you know, to do landscaping and stuff. So I sent somebody off and we got three different colors and three different textures of crushed foam and some moss in a bag. And I said, let's just start making them up. Let's make them real pale yellow. And I, do this, I did the dark circles around his eyes with brown and purple, that wasn't black. And I put, figured out where the wig was sitting on his head and then I started painting stuff that looked like weird squiggly stuff growing out from underneath everywhere. And I started sticking the foam to it and blowing it off and dusting it and then sticking bigger foam on to give it depth. And, and I took him, we took him back to, I took pictures of it. I wasn't even taking him to see Tim. I just took pictures of it. And, and Tim went, oh my God, that's great. Okay, that's good. Let's do that. So we refined it. And Michael said, you know, he said, I should have teeth. And I said, yeah, so is where. Steve, wait him teeth. We had no budget, by the way. And I said, Steve, do you have, and Michael said, I, I really don't want to use my nose. Do you have a broken nose? Can I have a broken nose? And I said, I said, Steve, do you have any broken noses? Like, like stuff laying around at home that we can use. You have a, have you done a broken nose on anything? And he said, he says, no, but I have some swollen lips. And I said, okay, so we actually used for the whole film, we used a pair of swollen lips. One went on this side of his nose and the other went on this side of the nose and it just gave him a broken nose. So he never had his own prosthetics. We did make him, and every day we made a bald cap to put on him. We made it, we didn't buy him, we made him. And we just over-dyed that wig about 10 times till we got that nasty color, which was, it started off kind of a platinum-colored wig, and when we were done, it was kind of a pale yellow with green swirling through it and really dirty-looking roots. So he was nasty. He came out looking pretty nasty. It's hard to tell because he's in like a lot of different colored lights and in the dark half of the movie, but 
if you saw him in person, he was really quite fun in person. <laughs> but that's kind of how we came up with Beetle. Was that the question you asked me? Oh, okay. Sometimes I get off on a tangent, I forget. Sorry. It sounds like a, a lot of your job is sort of being a MacGyver. Oh, yeah. If you don't have any money, you are definitely a MacGyver. Yeah, you got to figure it out, you know, by hook or by crook. So how long did the Beetle juice makeup take? I think it took us about two hours to get him ready. It was, it was probably that long because of the bald cap, you know? Right. Was uh, he okay with that? I've interviewed a lot of celebrities as far as in the horror genre. A lot of them complain about the makeup. Well, I, you know, I've done so many makeups throughout my career that I've really realized that there's really a limit to how long an actor will sit in your chair and be comfortable with it. And usually it's right about the two hour mark that they start getting real long. I you know? So I've, I've tried to work it out so that most of my makeup jobs are within that two-hour period, unless, of course, you've got somebody in a big creature suit, or and they know ahead of time they're going into it, you know, stuff like that. But it's like I did, I did that two-faced makeup on Tommy Lee Jones, who really didn't want to sit still. And I had just done a movie with him right before that, and Joel Schumacher, who also directed that, said to me, V, he says, gee, yeah, I hope you get along with Tommy because I'm going to ask him to be the bad guy in the next movie. And I went, <laughs> because this movie that I went to go do with Tommy Lee Jones was called Cobb, which was about Ty Cobb, the baseball player. And the reason I was on that movie was because a friend of mine kind of got fired or quit. We're not, I wasn't really clear on what happened. But I guess Tommy, he and Tommy did not get along. At all. And this, we're talking about Kevin Haney, who was like a really amazing makeup artist. And I was like, wow, okay. I always get these jobs where these guys quit and say, oh, give me the V. She can give me anybody. And I'm oh, goody, thank you. So we went in there, and here comes Mr. Crab. He sits in my chair, and he looks at me, and I had John Blake with me then, was my assistant. And he looks at me, goes like this. He goes, you have one hour to make me look 80 years old. I said, well, without missing the beat, I said, I tell you what, Tommy, we'll see how old you look in an hour. How's that? <laughs> and he goes, he goes, hmm. He sits back. And we did it. And then we did it in like in an hour and 10 minutes because I figured it out with John. I said, we want this guy in and out of this chair as fast as possible. <laughs> now we're talking about doing an old age makeup on a guy who's not old, who has kind of crummy skin, so it was kind of good to begin with. But it was all stretch and stipples throughout his whole face. We had to shave his head, put a wig on him, and paint it all. And I said, we're only going to make three spots that we ever have to match on his face. The rest of it's going to be all modeling and just, you know, kind of speckly age stuff that you can't really, nothing's defined. And so after we did it, he looks in the mirror and goes, hmm, looks pretty good. He says, he says now you're fucked. And I said, what? <laughs> I said, why? You have to do it that fast every time. And I said, I said, dude, this is the first time we did it. We'll probably get faster. <laughs> and he was fine from then on. It, he was one of those kind of guys that as long as you didn't crack or like show weakness, you were fine. But boy, the minute you showed weakness, he started going for you. And he wound up making a little wardrobe girl cry at the movie and everything. I'm like, oh, and I thought, Jesus, I'm going to spend a movie with him putting a big old makeup job on him. And funny enough, between between Cobb and Batman, um, the Oscar time came up, and Tommy was nominated for um, The Fugitive. And I was nominated for 
kissing me and hugging me and I'm like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and so then we went on to do, you know, we had to go back on the set to shoot a little bit more. And I said, you know, Tommy, I said, it's not going to be an hour makeup job when we go on to Batman. He goes, that's all right. And I said, well, why is it all right? Because they were paying me a lot of money to do that. So I said, okay, well, be prepared. You're going to be in that chair for at least two hours. And he goes, okay. I'm wearing a bad time because I didn't want any kind of this blowback from him, you know. But he loved me, so he never messed with me. I thought, Jesus. It's like, you know, as long as you stood up for yourself and you had enough, you know, confidence that you were good at what you did and you could carry it off, he, you know, appreciated that and he, you know, he respected you for that. But he could be a toughie. And I just worked with him just a few years ago, and he's a lot, I was going to say a little bit older, but he's a lot older now, and he's actually mellowed out quite a bit. And he was so happy to see me, because he would ask for me over the years for movies, and I, I go, oh no, I'm, I'm busy. <laughs> and I, I finally pushed him off onto Michael Westmore, who he really liked, because of course, Michael Westmore's famous, and he liked that, but I just kind of avoided working with him again. Because he didn't bother me, but I just didn't like the way he treated other people, you know? But um, on this last movie I did with him, he was really happy to see me. What was uh, Pittsburgh's um, Michael Keaton like? Michael was fantastic. He was really great. He was wonderful. It's an obvious question, but what was it like winning your first Oscar? Well, I tell you what, I I <laughs> won for Beetlejuice, and I we didn't think we were going to win because we were up against Rick Baker for coming to America. Which was amazing, and I know those makeups were like phenomenal because I actually went and helped Rick out for a few days on the film when they were shooting. So I got to see him firsthand, and they were just stunning. They were so beautiful. And um, anyway, we won, and I was bloody shocked. And we had all memorized a little portion of our speech because you get 45 seconds, right? And you go. The, the coolest part about getting nominated for an Oscar is they have a an Academy luncheon ahead of time, where all the nominees go. So nobody's a winner at this point, everybody's a nom is a nominated, and they mix the tables up, so you sit with, you'll sit with a director and an actor, and maybe a sound guy, or you know, you know, some wardrobe, or whatever. Everybody's all mixed up, and everybody's, they're just having a good time, because you're all nominees, and it's exciting, and yada yada. And um, they say, okay now, when, you, when they call your name, don't saunter up there like it's no big deal. You are excited to win this Oscar. You want to you know, run up there and get that darn thing. You know? And when you get up there, there's going to be a big screen, you know, like the size of this back wall there. And it's going to tell you, it's going to start flashing numbers when your time is going down and blah, 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 and this, that, and the other. And I got up there, and I kid you not, I didn't see anything. I, it was all white light. And so I like, it was just white light. I was so elated. It was like the highest I've ever been in my entire life. 
And I finally got backstage with Steve Laporte, and I looked at him, and I was like, I had a hold of his little pedals on his taxi when we were jumping up and down in this little elevator. And I stopped, and I said, did you see the screen? They were talking about this. I didn't see anything. <laughs> I, said, I said, I didn't see anything either. And I thought, so that's what it was like. And I said, if I ever get up here again, I'm going to look for the screen. Did you see it? Oh, yes, I did. I thought, how the hell did I never see that? I was like, oh, my God, you can see everybody down in the front rows. You can see all the movie stars down there and everything. And I'm like, geez, how did I not see it? It just looks like wild. Now that the second and third, did it become old hat, or was it still just a special? Never old hat. <laughs> I didn't think so. I had nominated eight times, and every time I went, it was like nerve-wracking and crazy. Yeah. Actually, I only went seven times, because one of those years I was nominated twice. Oh, okay. And I was the other two losers. <laughs> <laughs> I love saying that. <laughs> I lost a really fabulous film, though. It was to uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. For my friend. And it was funny. Is Greg Cannon was also nominated with me for one of the other movies as well. So we, he had two nominations and I did too, but I was on Batman and he was on Dracula. So, oh, okay. anyway. so we know at the beginning you, you know you put all the makeup on the actor. Now, what do you do during the, the production? Well, during production, once you get everybody made up, you go to the set and watch it. And if you're lucky, you'll get to have a monitor close by so you can see what the shots are. And it used to be, well, we never had monitors. You just had to kind of find a place to hide and try to figure it out and make sure you can keep an eye on your actor and try not to go up every single take and mess with them because, you know, I, I look at it this way. My work is done in the trailer, and once I get to the set, yes, I have to keep an eye on them and I have to watch them closely. But, you know, some people are really nervous and they're, they think that if they're not up there touching them every second that they're not doing their job, it's not the case. You let them get to the set, you let them do their work, and you keep an eye on them, and you only go up and touch them if you have to. And I always tell the actors, I say, once you leave this room, I will keep an eye on you. I will make sure I can see everything. I'll look at the monitor. I say, but I will not come up and mess with you unless I think something's wrong. And I just want you to know you'll always be able to see me on the set. So if you need something, you just ask for me. But I said, I will come up and poke at you every take, because when you get out there, that's your time to be. That's your time to work. My time to work is now, unless I need to touch you. So you've worked with some of the who's who of Hollywood, and you, you were a special character makeup artist on Dick Tracy. Yes. That, literally an all-star cast. Yes, they won the Oscar that year as well. Did, um, who do you remember working on specifically? Well, I did Al Pacino. So, yeah. He was fantastic. Al was wonderful. It was funny, I was, one morning I was making him up, and he would come in and he would literally just kind of go to sleep, you know, while I was making him up. And this one morning I was doing him, I was poking around his nose, and he kind of went like his head went back a little bit, and then his head went down like this, and my brush went right up his nose. <laughs> and he went, I'm sorry, Al. He goes, he said, I fell asleep tonight. I said, well, you, you, yeah, yeah, you, <laughs> kind of like down my brush. I'm so sorry. I blew on it. was gnarly. <laughs> oh, he was, he was really a nice guy. I remember one night I was cleaning him up, and, I, you know, it's funny. It's like he comes in, he's this handsome, you know, Italian man, and he leaves as this nasty character, you know, big boy. And, and, um, I, I was looking at it. I cleaned him up one day and I combed his hair back and stuff. And I said, you know, I said, I forget how handsome you are when I put that makeup on you. And he, he was laughing at me. And I said, God, I said, I'm so sorry, Al. <laughs> but he was, he was adorable. He was nice. 
<laughs> so getting back to, to Tim Burton a little bit, uh, in 1990 he worked on Edward Scissorhands mm -hmm. with him. What's he like to work with? He just seems like such a perfectionist. Is that, yep. Yeah, is that the way um, Yeah, I, I don't know if you call it perfectionist. He's, he's, he definitely knows what he wants and he gets it out of everybody. And that's really good. And I think people enjoy, uh, I don't know, I, I kind of believe that the makeup artist is the director's tool. And, and I know a lot of makeup artists think they're the star of the show. <laughs> I won't name names. Um, but I feel that you help the director bring their vision to life with your characters that you do for them. So for me, uh, if a director wants something, you do your best and your damnedest to give them exactly what they want because that's what you're there for. You're not there to make yourself a star. You're, you're there to make the movie star, star. You're there to bring the character to life, to to give the vision that the director wants. So Tim is, you know, he's very verbal about it. If he doesn't like something, he'll tell you. And, and he's very good at, at telling you what he wants and what he needs. A lot of a lot of directors sometimes, I, you know, I won't say a lot, but there I've worked with directors that can't really pinpoint what they need. They go, well, kind of, you know, like kind of like. So I started putting boards together so that. You know, because a lot of times if they don't have vision, you put like a vision board together for them of things that they kind of are talking about that they can't quite put their finger on. And you say, okay, what do you and what don't you like? And that really helps them narrow it down so that they can, you can find out what their vision is. Because when they can't tell you, you have to get it out of them somehow or another. But Tim, you don't have to do that. He's very good at describing exactly what he wants. And, and once you work with him a couple of times, you know how quirky he is, and you've seen his art, and you kind of know where he's coming from. So he's a lot easier to read than a lot of people. Yeah, I was going to say, with his artistic background, does that make it a little easier to work with, say, a director that doesn't have? Yeah, and like I said, some directors are very good at being able to visualize what they want, and they can give you some instances, or they can they can say, look, it should look like such and such, or this, you know, whatever. But sometimes they just don't know, so you give them choices. Right. So I want to move on to a film, one of my favorite films, that's Batman Returns, and your makeup work on Danny DeVito is the main one. How, talk about coming up with that concept. Well, it, now you remember, you have to remember, I don't make the prosthetics, yeah. and you know, Tim does design his characters, basically. And I worked with Stan Winston Studios on that. So Stan Winston, his guys uh, sculpted the pieces, and then I did all the test makeups. So basically, I'll get the foam latex, I'll just get this white piece of foam rubber, and I'll get an actor, and they'll say, okay, go for it, you know? So I know Tim's aesthetic, so I just, you know, start, like, that's what I do. <laughs> I put it on him, and I start painting, and I think, I said, I think this is what he wants, and he goes, yeah, that, that's, that's good, yeah, that's what he likes, and I went, okay, perfect. And we kind of just honed it down from there, you know? Did they do the, the prosthetic company do the teeth as well? They did the teeth from as well, yeah, that was Dan Winston Studios. Amazing job yeah. as well as you did too. I noticed that you were Danny DeVito's uh, makeup artist again on Spanos. Was that another thing where he requested you? Yeah, he did, yeah. That's great. That's going to make you feel good when these. Actually, it was Junior, it wasn't Junior. 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 That's okay, but it's the same thing, basically. <laughs> <laughs> same guys, just different movie. <laughs> so, 93 and 94 were pretty big years for you, Mrs. Doubtfire and uh, Ed Wood. So I guess we can talk about Mrs. Doubtfire first. How did you get involved in that? Well, that was also Greg Cannon. So when Greg got the job, he said, you, you know, you want to go do this. Because because of the fact that Greg had um, a makeup lab, he also was doing other projects. So, you know, once he gets a project done, he, like, would hand it off to the makeup artist. That's, and everybody would used to say to me, 
well, V, why don't you have your own lab? Why aren't you doing your own stuff? I said, I, I don't want all that headache. I just want to put it on. I, that's what I'm good at. I'm good with being with the actors. I'm good with directors and everybody. I like being on set. I don't. I hate being in a lab. I did it for three years when I started. I said, I want to know how, how everything's done, and I want to keep up on all the latest technology, but I don't want to be in there doing that. So, so anyway, cut to, um, I was working with Greg Cannon again, and Greg came and he did the first test makeup with me for Mrs. Doubtfire, and he looked like an old man. I said, Greg, no, this can't be Mrs. Doubtfire. It looks like a nasty, fat old man. And he says, yeah, he does kind of look like a man. I said, why don't you just go back home and let me do the next test by myself. So I did the next test by myself and I created Mrs. Doubtfire for Mrs. Doubtfire because I said he has to look like a guy that's doing this to himself, number one, but it has to look like a sweet old lady. It looks it has to look like a sweet old lady that has like, you know, a little makeup on and some rouge and a little lipstick, but it has to be simple enough but believable enough that he can be walking around in it. So. I just said, let me just work this out myself, and, and I'll do it. And that's how we came up with Mrs. Doubtfire. He sculpted everything, and then I and I did the paint job. So when you're on set and you're seeing, you know, your creation and what you've collaborated on come to life by these actors, Robin Williams, one of the best. What was it like watching him bring this to life? Robin was fantastic. And the, and the first couple of times I did it, he would like start getting antsy and start talking to people and doing stuff. And I said, Robin, I'm never going to get you out of this chair if you don't sit still. And he goes, yeah, I know. Because the first time we did it, it took four hours. And I said, this is, this is not I said, we got to do it. We, it's got to be under two hours. We're, we got to figure this out. And so I had Stefan Dupuis with me, help me on that. And what we did was I took the doors off the cabinets behind me and I put a monitor up in the cabinet behind me. So when Robin was sitting in the chair, we had him watching movies. <laughs> and Robin had never seen a lot of the classic films from like, you know, he hadn't seen a lot of movies, period. So we started showing him all the classic films. Like, I mean, like real classics, like Citizen Kane. You know, just, I mean, you know, all the oldies and some of the contemporary ones that he had never seen. And he saw a lot of movies because I put him in that makeup 54 times. So he didn't get to see a lot of movies. <laughs> so you have a, a decent background with Batman. Mm -hmm. What was your thoughts on uh, the job they did on Colin Farrell to turn him into the, the Penguin for the Batman? Well, Mike Marino is an incredible makeup artist, number one. He can do anything as far as I'm concerned. I mean, he's right on Rick Baker's heels. I mean, he's amazing. And I did like the take on it because it's like a more believable type of a human, it's like a human being. And I think it was really interesting. And especially for the way the, the you know, these Batman films have evolved, they're more humanistic and they're a little darker. And, you know, all the characters are, are you know, more lifelike. And I think it's an amazing, you know, I think he did an amazing job. No, it's he's unrecognizable. So what uh, characters did you all work on Ed Wood? Every, I did Johnny and then I handed him off because I was doing Martin, so it was kind of difficult. But I did Martin, I did Elvira, I did um, Thor, you know, so I did I got the, that Thor makeup was really hard to do because I you can't or Thor is his name. I it had to be bad. It had to be like the movie where you could see the whole thing all the way around it. 
So I, I just got like really bad prosthetics and ones that were like we could just pour up, foam, you know, rubber ones, not even foam, they were rubber. And we just stuck them on them and, you know, painted them up and stuff. I got, I just can't, I can't put this out there. It just makes it hurts me to look at it. But we did it because it had to look like the crummy movies the guy made, you know? But it was fun. So you then started to work on Pirates of the Caribbean. At this point, are you and Johnny Depp just kind of friends? Oh yeah, I mean, I didn't do a lot. I've only done probably five or six movies with Johnny. He had to make parts and did a lot of his other films. But usually, when he had something specific or something different that he wanted to do, he would always call me. So that was that was kind of neat. And I think probably because we had worked so much in that short period of time, I was doing those films with him. And I can't remember what we were on that we were talking about. Pirates, but we talked about it ahead of time because he was saying he wanted this, that, and the other one's hair. I said, Well, I have this incredible collection of beads, um, trade beads, and all kinds of cool trinkets and stuff that I've been collecting for years because I used to make treasure necklaces. And I said, I could come up with some really cool stuff to stick in your hair and make beads. So I made all that stuff in his hair. And we just, you know, I stuck it in the, you know, Martin, uh, the hairdresser, and I just worked on it together. Overall, sewed into his wig and did all that. You know, he had a little hole in his beard down here. I said, well, let's just give you like a weird sword here that nobody really knows what it is. We'll just call it syphilis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's it like working on it? I imagine that being just a huge production. Oh, it was, it was huge, yeah. What's it like working on that? And do you prefer smaller or do you like the bigger? Uh, you know, I really enjoy working on big films. Or I used to anyway, I'm retired now, but. I love doing the pirate films, and I mean, at, at almost at any point on that movie, I had 50 makeup artists working with me. That was just the makeup. We also had 50 hairdressers, because almost every one of those guys had a wig on. Um, and then it started getting cut down. The hairdressers got down to 35, because some of them, you know, they didn't need it. But um, it came to the point where I was carrying like a mobile lab with me, because we had to do so much stuff on the fly, and we were so far away that it was impossible to get anything to go with us. So um, Joel Harlow was my assistant during that time. Joel, I had Joel running the lab for us. And then Joel uh, ran my lab, and he made a lot of the prosthetics for pirates as well. And did bootstrap build. But we also had a tooth guy with us, because any time that we had, I said, if any one of these guys works on the movie for more than two days, he's getting teeth made. Because we had, what we did was we made these plastic veneers, and it's the bone and teeth, so we didn't have to paint their teeth because they all had rotten teeth. And to paint their teeth was a misery because they always were eating something, and then the shit had come off. And, <laughs> and paint their mouths, and I said, no, no, we're not doing that. So we made those plastic teeth for everybody. Can you guys hear me all right? I don't need to talk like this. <laughs> but um, yeah, and it was, it was huge. And we were on the islands, so we were far away. We couldn't, you know. So you were department uh, makeup head for Constantine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, who did you work with uh, on there? Did you work with the actor that played Satan? I did, yeah. Uh, 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 I think his name is Peter Stormare. Peter Stormare, yeah, Peter Stormare, yes. And we had tattoos made from him, like we picked up from underneath his neck and his hands. Right. And, and obviously, did you work out? Was he? Yeah, he was cool. <laughs> yeah, he seems to play the perfect bad guy in yeah, any situation. <laughs> yeah, he was nice though. I mean, it's funny, it's like all these guys that play these mean bad guys are always usually the big buffy dogs. You know? <laughs> like, 
sweetheart. And Keanu has it. Did you work with him? I did. I did Keanu. And he has such a reputation of being just a humble, amazing he, human. He is actually a really quiet, really sweet man. And, you know, I don't think acting comes easy to him. He really has to work at it. And I would always see him over in a corner running his lines by himself, you know, just really, like, struggling, you know. And I thought, wow, and it looks so easy when he does it. Like, he really does... He really works at it to perfect it because I don't, you know, some people are just naturals that can turn it off and on, like Johnny and like Jennifer Lawrence on, on her game. She, I mean, she could just turn it off and on. She could goof around playing jokes and pinching people and doing crazy stuff and laughing and screaming. And then she'd turn around and go on set and start crying. And I'm thinking, how do you do that, girl? <laughs> she was just, you know, amazing. She could just turn it on and off and be perfect every time. That's why she's paid the big bucks. That's right. <laughs> so, of all the films you worked on, is there one that sticks out as maybe the most challenging, or perhaps the one you're most proud of? Um, you know, I'm kind of proud of everything I've done, and, and all for a different reason. You know, because I got to do so many different projects that all entailed a different type of makeup in each one. But um, not anything that I couldn't say I was more proud of than the next, because I figured I did always did the best job I could do. And, so that, I don't think that comes into play. Um, I think most challenging might have been Mrs. Alphard just trying to get those pieces on because it was like nine or ten overlapping pieces. And if I didn't get them on him every day in exactly the right spot, and all those little pieces weren't overlapping, it was usually around his mouth, he would start sweating and little things of sweat would start shooting out of holes and would move down. And I said, oh my God, that's what I learned. So it's like there was no nights out before doing that thing, too much wine. Because if I came in even like off that day, I mean, I'd get up and do yoga every morning before I went to work because I had to get that makeup oil in two hours every day. You know, it had to be perfect and I couldn't have any spots and everything had to be like within centimeters. It, it was because all those little pieces, the last piece of went on I think it was his lower lip, and if all that stuff didn't just cover all these other three pieces that met up here, and I had that sweat popping out all day long, I was chasing it. It was like, oh, I'm not going to do that. So that was probably the most challenging. But fine, I didn't care. I got two questions left for me, and then we'll take it to the audience here. You were a judge on the TV show Face Off. How did you get involved in that? Land lasted a long time. Um, it did, yeah. Um, I can't remember exactly how I call, got called for it. I don't remember if my agent called me or if a friend, possibly. And I went in for an interview, and they liked me, and they called me back. And then they said, well, we're looking for two other guys, and we need somebody that runs a, a, a studio. And I said, well, you should try. There's this guy that's kind of crazy looking that might be kind of fun, you know, for the thing, which was Glenn. And then... Um, that we had Patrick, and I'm not sure that Patrick had to take off. Wasn't Patrick our first one? Yeah, Patrick Totopoulos. And then we had, um, uh, oh my goodness, tall, great, oh goodness. Who was our third judge? I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Uh-huh. Oh, Neville, yes, yeah, sorry, Neville Page. I don't know how, how could I forget you, Neville? Please, please. I mean, I your face is in my head. I just couldn't do anything for a moment. But um, it was really fun, and I'm not really sure how I got that job, other than the fact that they needed to have a woman, and they needed somebody with credentials, and and I was that was me. <laughs> so I got the job, and it was really fun, and I had a blast doing it. I'm really sorry the show's not on anymore. 
and it doesn't matter how many people call up Sci-Fi Channel and how many petitions they put together, the assholes will not do the show. And Mackenzie and I have tried to buy it off them, they won't even sell it. Why are there so many production companies that don't listen to And they don't have to pay they don't have to pay residuals or anything because even though we were all SAG, we weren't under SAG contracts. So they, they didn't have to do that either. <laughs> so last question for me, you said you were retired. Is there anyone that can call you and say I need your help that would make you unretired? Anybody that's doing a Western with somebody that I like. Awesome. <laughs> That's the only thing that's going to get me up at four o'clock in the morning again. You see westerns ever coming back? There, there's a whole string of them being made right now. I mean, they're kind of coming back. I mean, not like the old-fashioned ones, but right. the new. Yeah, there's there's westerns like they pop up all the time now. There's like a string of them. I mean. Yeah, it's good to see you for a while. It was not like yeah. It was tombstone and then it just kind yeah. of dried up. Yeah. Yeah. So who has a question for me out in the audience? So me, what got you into this? I mean, as as a young girl, did you do makeup in high school and the high school plays? Or what I, I did, and funny enough, funny you mentioned that because my high school alma mater called me the other day and they said, we heard you're retired, do you want to come and do anything at the school? Oh, I said, no. Actually, I called them up and offered my services. I said, hey, I've got all this equipment and makeup. I said, I maybe we'll get donated somewhere. And I said, are you guys interested? And they said, well, what about you? And I said, what do you mean me? And they said, well, would you come and donate your time. We're doing Mama Mia this year. They said, we did Shrek, but we didn't know you were available. I said, well, I said, maybe if I'm not working, I can maybe come down. And then, of course, Sean, you're going to book me that weekend, aren't you? So I want to go. Yeah, I will see your book. But yeah, um, I did it in high school, yeah. But, you know, when I started, there was... I was always told that I couldn't do it because I was a woman, because back then only men were makeup artists. Women were body makeup or they were hairstyles, but we weren't makeup artists. In fact, I was one of the first black women that got into the union. So pretty much um, all of us all right here, uh, we go to Thompson Union Special Effects Makeup School, and you know, most of the stuff that we get um, from him is coming from somebody who's in the biggest movies or, you know, back in the day period. So from somebody who has done more modern movies, what is like the, the really important thing you can do to get into it? Okay, that's a really broad question. No, like, get into so, it. How do you mean like get into doing your makeup properly or get into kind of like um what's like a good way to kind of get your stuff out there and get people to you know Well first of all, you know, I don't know what Tom's curriculum is because I don't know what they teach anymore. I haven't looked at wasn't interested. I know Tom's, you know, big thing is like all these horror movies and slasher movies and stuff, and that's really great if that's all you ever want to do. But if you want to really learn how to do makeup, you want to learn how to do people that look real. So if you want to work in the film, you've got to learn how to make people look real. So that's your first thing. Don't waste your time doing a bunch of creature stuff because yeah, creatures are great, and you can do them eventually, but if you want to work all the time, you have to work on human beings. So try to really hone your skills on doing uh, prosthetics that are like for, you know, like broken noses or swollen eyes or, you know, injury type stuff where you can really, where it's really useful, stuff that's used all the time, whether you're doing TV or film. So, or character work, if you want to change somebody, like, you know, 
to do to be like a totally different person. So learn how to paint. First of all, make sure you get color theory. Learn how to paint. Um, learn how to do hair work. That's really important because there's a lot of period films being made, so you have to learn how to do hair work. Whether you're doing hair work with like laying hair or you're using uh, lace pieces or anything like that, but that's that's my first and foremost. And never turn down a job. That's my advice. Never turn down a job because what are you going to do? Sit at home and look at each other? Who cares? <laughs> I mean, if you go out and you're doing it for free, it doesn't matter because you have to get experience. That's that's the number one thing. You want to get experience immediately. If that means going to work on a job for free, I get it. Everybody does it when they're starting out. You know, don't pay to go work on it. Don't make it cost you money. Just say, hey, y'all come and do it, but you got to pay for my stuff. You know, you can have me for free, but the stuff is not free because they will take advantage of you. But you want to get that experience. You want to be out there on the set. You want to learn what everybody does. You want to see how it all works, how people work together. Who do you have to work with? You want to talk with your director. You want to be in, in cahoots with the wardrobe people. you got to learn how to work with a hairstylist. you, you got to learn how to work together and you know be respectful of each other's crafts and don't backstab each other because you know what? What goes around comes around, baby. I mean, and, and you know what, if you're going up the ladder, all it takes is one broken run from somebody that you like was badass to, you're going down. You know, so, you know, treat each other with respect and be kind to each other and help each other. You know, help each other get jobs because you're going to need a job one day and they might help you get a job, you know? Um, I never had a problem with that. I think it was all a facade. I mean, they never, you know, he, they edited out him laughing most of the time. He was always laughing. <laughs> and I really liked making him laugh. So. Way into that? It was also a blunt question. Was there ever a day that one of his outfits or facial hairstyles just kind of made you? Shuffle a little bit because it's so. Every, every so <laughs> <laughs> I always wanted that. <laughs> there was somebody in the middle, real quick, who had the question. Oh. Is, there, is there anyone that you feel is just the greatest of all time, or maybe a few that you think were just the, the best in the business? As far as what? Actors or makeup artists? artists? Makeup artists? Well, I mean, it's your quintessential, you know, obviously, Dick Smith. Um, I loved working with Stan Winston, although he may have not been a really fabulous makeup artist himself, but all of his stuff that he did was, and everybody he had working with him was. Um, Rick Baker is the god of makeup now, the dick's gone. But I think, like, as I was saying, Mike Marino's coming right up on his heels. He's out of New York, and he's amazing. But I worked with this young man named Ryan Type in Los Angeles, who's really amazing. And there's so many, I can't even name them all. Gosh. So you ask me questions I can't answer now because I'm getting tired. Um, there's a lot of really good up and coming um, makeup artists that are out there. But it's your quintessential Rick Baker. What can I say? And Rick Cannon, of course, who I've worked with many times. He's fantastic as well. Well, we thank you very much for taking some time. It's a few hours for me. Thank you. Yeah, it's a great question. And then over at my table, if you did. Other worldly culture.